Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express and Pressing Journal. Back again, fourth time in two weeks. This time I'm joined, myself, Ryan Crowell, by two Pauls, Paul Chalk, Paul Third, Andy Skinner and Jamie Durant. How are we guys? How are we doing? Good, thank you. Oh, good, thanks, Good morning for Aberdeen season. <laughs> now you might, we'll get onto that in a minute, but you might be like, who's Paul Chalk? Well, Paul is our new... North reporter at the Press and Journal, joining Andy Skinner up in the outer wilds um, to cover our teams up there and all the other sports. So Paul will be a regular contributor alongside the other Paul. I know, I know two Pauls in the same podcast. What were we thinking? Anyway, today we'll discuss, first of all, Ross County. What a result beating Hamilton 2-1 relegation rivals and all. And we'll then get on to the, the not-so-good news, Aberdeen. Losing 1-0 to Hibs, their third place um, fight is over, as well as Cove Rangers and Elegant City's battles in the playoffs. So we'll get through we'll get through them all. Uh, but first of all, Andy, we knew that Ross County, if they won this game, they would put to bed Hamilton's time in the Premiership. They would send them down. They would strengthen their own chances of finishing 10th. It's looking good, is it? I think they're three points clear of Kilmarnock going into the final game. Yeah, it's a scenario that I think they would have taken undoubtedly, before a ball was kicked last night. I mean, there was the possibility that if St Mirren had won, then that could have been it, job done, ahead of Sunday's trip to Motherwell. But given how things were looking at Rugby Park in particular, you know, there was a stage when when Kilmarnock were 2-0 up in that game. Um, and County, having come from behind against Hamilton, um, I mean, I think, had County lost by two clear goals, then... Uh, you know, Kilmarnock winning could have actually sent them bottom last night. So, you know, to to still have it firmly in their own hands, but knowing that they can, you know, secure survival with just a point at Fir Park on Sunday is is massive. Uh, and the manner in which they did it, coming from behind uh, in a very very nervy game, um, which was cagey right from the start, it uh, it was a real good night's work from from John Hughes's side. I was going to say, yeah, it looked like um, the goals in the game were strange, I would say, although um, I think all three were possibly from outside the box. There were there were strange kind of, they weren't they weren't the highest quality goals would be the best way I can think of to put it. Uh, well, it wasn't the, the highest quality game, so it, uh, <laughs> it was quite quite befitting. Maybe certainly Hamilton's opener was, was scrappy. It was a needless free kick that was given away perilously close to the the penalty box for county's liking. Um, Scott McMahon managed to to pick his spot really uh, just underneath the wall, and at that stage, you really kind of feared for what was in store for county for them to peg back so quickly. Um, it, you know, it was a fantastic strike from Blair Spittle, a good layoff from from Jordan White, who led the line well again last night and uh, teed it up for Spittle to uh, unleash a. A powerful shot from the edge of the box that uh, found its way into the, the bottom corner. That settled County down. Um, I mean, they knew that they they needed to ideally go in search of the the winning goal. And to be honest, they, they did have to withstand some pressure from Aki's, who uh, you know had a couple of big chances actually just before half time. Ross Callaghan had the the best of those hitting the post. County looked better in the second half. They hadn't really shown much other than that spittle opportunity in the, the first half but uh, after the break they they did look like they were on a, a bit of a mission to to try and get that winner because it made a big difference to how the 
the standings were looking, irrespective of what uh, what's was happening in Ayrshire. County knew that the the three points were were going to be all important, regardless. So, uh, I mean, the winning goal was a fantastic strike from Charlie Lake, and it was again laid off to him by Jordan White. And uh, you know, there were men inside the the box who were you know screaming for a a cutback, but he showed the composure to to get himself into the the shooting position and made a, a fantastic job of sending it into the bottom corner. So, uh, no job done. As far as County were concerned, you could see the relief. Um, you know, after the game, there was a wee bit of euphoria, but it was quickly kind of channeled into you know an acknowledgement that their job is not yet done. They they do need to go and uh, finish things off at Fur Park, and you know if they take care of their own business, then they they don't have to worry about what's going on at New Douglas Park. I think it it must be said that John Hughes clearly isn't a fan as displayed by McMahon's goal for Hamilton of the, the newfangled draft excluder tactic at um, three kicks, as in lying somebody down behind the wall. That didn't, if that had been in place, then maybe that goal wouldn't have went in. Um, I wonder who would have drawn the short straw for that one. We can take our picks from that. player. <laughs> Jordan White. Jordan White, yeah. <laughs> Basically, you need the longest the longest man, I think, is the is the best practice for that. Um, in, in, terms of, in terms of the game at the weekend then, Motherwell... Obviously, they're above County in the league. Um, what, how how do how do County approach this one? Because, I mean, do they go down with eleven defenders and just park the bus? Um, they probably want a goalkeeper, to be fair. But do they go down with? Do they go down and basically try and prevent themselves getting beat, or do they just need to go and play their game? Because I think they've shown this season that attack is very much their strength and defence, perhaps. Or well, I say perhaps defense isn't their strength. If you were Ross County, would you be confident of keeping a clean sheet and going down with eleven behind the ball? But given how this season's panned out, I can't see them doing that. I think that's asking for trouble going with that approach. I, I think they've they've just got to follow the same formula that has served them well over these last two games. Um, I mean, we've been just waiting for them to string back-to-back victories together all season since the, the opening two games and, and finally they've done it now um, and, and you know what better time in the season to to kind of find that consistency they um, you know they've been well worthy of uh, of, of the points uh, maybe more so at Tanadice than, than they were last night when it was as I say nervy and, and cagey but uh, you know they they just have to try and follow in that that same pattern and and, and really take the game to, to Motherwell um, because, as, as you say, I don't think the containing job is one that will really suit them. Um, Motherwell have been on good form by and large, but, uh, you know, I think County really have to, to go down there looking to try and... I mean, if they get the first goal, then that'll be a huge weight off their shoulders because, you know, they know that even if they do concede one, then, you know, it's uh, it's still going to be enough to, to keep them up, but... Um, I don't think it's it's in their nature to to go down there looking to to scrape out a draw. I think you'll you'll see a a good intent from from County, and they'll just try and uh, you know keep this momentum going and into the the final game of the season. It should be said, although although I'm saying Hamilton are down, they aren't technically down because a nine goal swing could see them overtake Kilmarnock. They'd have to probably win nine nil at the weekend. So yeah, it is unlikely. But um, the one thing I wanted to touch on just before we leave County behind, Andy, is something somebody suggested in the team WhatsApp, actually. 
But do you see a scenario where Hamilton's relegation leaves to leads to Brian Rice leaving Arkes and potentially joining John Hughes at the Global Energy Stadium if he is in fact the county manager next term? I, personally, I don't see it. To be honest, I, I think Brian Rice has uh, you know waited a long time for his his chance as uh, a manager in his own right. He's put the groundwork in. Um, you know, as assistant to not just John Hughes, but you know other managers too. In recent years, you know he stayed on at Inverness after Yogi left and uh, assisted Richie Foran and John Robertson briefly um, at the, the Caledonian Stadium. Um, so I think you know he's started a, a career in his own right, and I think that's probably the, you know the route he'll go down. He, he's also signed a, a new deal with with Hamilton. Um, I mean, rewarded him with that uh, that faith uh, before they knew their fate which was you know quite a a strong signal from from Aki's um, and you know it just puts the puts the faith in him to try and lead them back next season I mean they've they've played um, a, a little bit more expansively than perhaps they they have in the past in the premiership and you know, always been quite well renowned for bringing young players through you'll maybe see a bit more of that next season in the, the championship in a similar way to, you know, what we've seen at Inverness this season. Uh, you, you know, guys that have come through the academy that, you know, in top flight scenarios might not get the, the game time that um, that the championship kind of allows. So um, I, I think there will be a rebuild of sorts needed at Hamilton and I think Brian Rice will be pretty focused on, on that and, uh, you know, that will be the you know the next sort of focus in his uh, sort of his own management career, which he's uh, you know got underway with a, a couple of years in the the Premiership. Okay, bang on ten minutes there. So we'll move on, leave Ross County behind. As I said, good luck to them at the weekend. But we'll turn our focus to Aberdeen's defeat to Hibs that ended their charge to try and take third place in the top flight. Right, Mr. Third, how how first of all, how did you how did you rank this in terms of the Dons games you've seen this season? Summed up the season perfectly in, in ninety minutes. Aberdeen they were okay. They had lots of the ball, I think seventy percent possession overall, but not for the first time. Didn't do very much with it. I mean Mark Macy didn't really have too much to do for the, the entire game in the Hibs goal. He had one save from Lewis Ferguson, I think it was at the start of the second half, which he, he turned past the post for a corner. They dealt with the corner and that was it. There was nothing There was nothing in the final third from Aberdeen. And we've said that so often this season. It's We're looking at what, Lewis Ferguson's going to end the campaign unless Ryan Hedges has a, a stormer at Ibrox on Saturday as the club's top goal scorer. And he's got, what, 10 goals? And it took him the best part of three, four months to get from nine Two ten. That kind of says everything for me. It's just that I haven't scored enough goals. I've I, I looked at the league table this morning, and I think it's something like thirty four goals is what they've let in. But in terms of of goal scoring, Aberdeen have been a mile off their usual standard of the last couple of years. And and I know Aberdeen fans in general have debated whether the standard's slowly been been dropping. And you, you can't really argue with that when you see. Even if they get a result at the weekend, they're not going to break 
60 points for a campaign, which is the lowest they've had for years, just hasn't been good enough. Yeah, I think from reading Stephen Glass's kind of comments after the game, he was obviously saying I think they were about 10 points adrift of Hibs when when they came in. Um, so to get them within touching distance and within a chance of overtaking them coming to the end of the season, it's, it's a little bit of a positive there, but it's kind of probably highlighted again just the kind of the the size of the rebuilding job that he's got in his hands this summer with a significant number of players out of contract and the players that maybe aren't his his choices are still this is still Derek McInnes's team that Stephen Glass is trying to get a tune out of towards the end of the season when there's still kind of there's still kind of prizes to play for obviously with the Scottish Cup and then third place um, so I think there's obviously been a little bit of um, stick online which probably doesn't surprise you in this day and age but <laughs> criticism of the coaching team because of the kind of the manner of the performance but I think Ryan said something similar to us earlier on that you can't really judge you can't really judge Stephen Glass and how this team are doing until they get the players in that they want so it's going to be into next season before you can truly say how uh, how well this is going yeah I mean I mean the recruitment under McInnes obviously got the stage there have been a few field signings there's guys in the books that aren't possibly good enough and to, to expect Stephen Glass to come in and be able to sort of mould a team almost immediately with these sort of disparate parts. I, th- I think people are expecting too much from him and, and it, he really should be judged on how he gets on next season. And point to be made about, look at Carl Davidson this year, like how, how many games did he win this first 10 with St. Johnson? Two or something? Um, and he's gone on to be probably everyone, although he's not winning the awards, but he's probably gone on to be most people's manager of the year um is in many ways was last night potentially a blessing in disguise in the sense that having won a couple of games with these players that there, there was maybe i know the dundee united game was an outlier and, and, and they were beaten quite comprehensively on that day in the cup but was there maybe the chance that like there'd be a, almost a softening of um the opinion on some of the players in the squad that after last night, we're kind of, we know now, we finally know these guys need to be shipped out and replaced with, with new players. And I noticed Stephen Glass talking about not ruling out the lone guys, the three lone strikers. But for me, I already need to be aiming a bit higher. And none of those guys, Callum Hendry, Florian Camberry, certainly not Fraser Hornby, but he wasn't going to come back anyway. But yeah, do you, do you see a way for any of them to beat Pataudry next season? I, I, out of the three, and the one, and this is probably a surprise. The one, the one I think who's probably got the best chance of returning is Camberry. Um, <laughs> I, I know, I know. Um, it's he it, it plays in fits and bursts for me, um, but they like him, and he and he can play in that number ten off a striker. He's he's played out wide. Whether he's done enough, I for me no. But then I'm not the guy who's having to make those decisions. That's fallen to Stephen Glass and, and I suppose Alan Russell as well. But he may feel that he's he's a good option in terms of what he does is going to have next season. That is the the bigger question: is what is what what are Aberdeen going to offer as an attacking force next season? Because that is the big the big elephant in the room. We've been talking about it for weeks. We've, we've seen Declan Gallagher coming in. We've seen Scott Brown coming in. That's going to give them more control in a game and it's going to make them stronger defensively. But that's not the issue. The issue is, what have they got going forward? And I don't see 
an awful lot in the final third at all in terms of these guys and what they've come in. Certainly not enough for Aberdeen to be improving on their current league position of fourth. I mean, we've got a piece coming out later on with uh, Ryan Hedges and I know he's talking optimistically and having a bit of hope for next season, but I, I wish I shared that that optimism with him. That They need more, he needs more round about him. He's been named the player of the year at the club. I think it was a defensive player. I've, I've taken pelters for this privately, as I'm about to reveal, but for me, Aberdeen's best player this season was Ash Taylor and we haven't seen him for weeks. Um, because of, of injury and that's a big question mark over whether he's going to be at the club next season but certainly you need a number nine you probably need a target man you certainly need pace in the side you need width that's all <laughs> but uh, four, five I'd be looking for up front because with all due respect Johnny Johnny Hayes is not getting any younger as, as good a player as he is Niall McGinn isn't getting any younger. That's a decision to be made on him next week. And then the three who have been on loan for me, sorry, haven't haven't really done enough. When are we expecting the announcement on? Yeah, I know you said next week. Do we have any other information on when the announcement on who's leaving um, is expected to come? I'm sure a lot of fans would be interested in that one. No, yeah, it is as vague as next week. Um, Stephen Glass doesn't like being asked about this. You talk to him about a signing that they've made in Declan Gallagher and he'll say, he's not my player yet, I'm not going to talk about it. You ask him about guys and contract offers because we know that Mikey Devlin, I think he's now had a, an offer and talks are ongoing. Again, the manager won't talk about that. He's just, no, I'm not talking about anyone in or out until such time as it's signed, sealed and delivered. So... That's the way he wants to play it. That's how we're going to be going from this point on, by the looks of it. Good news for us. <laughs> the uh, the <laughs> oh, it, it must be said that we, we did discuss all the people that Aberdeen are linked to and have offered contracts to on our episode earlier this week. So if you want to know a bit more, you can go back and listen to that. I don't think much has changed. And although things will pick up pace now, um, hopefully by the time you've managed to get through this one and then listen to that one, nothing new has come out. Uh, we'll move on then. From the Dons, uh, it's been a disappointing campaign, I'm sure all would agree. We'll discuss um, Cove Rangers' campaign next and their championship playoff run ended um, on Tuesday night, but I, I think we'd be we'd, it would be a stretch to say that their campaign hasn't been a, a roaring success. Jamie, I actually stole all that from a column that you wrote yesterday. Uh, Cove, uh, it ended in disappointing fashion, going down to Erdrionians in extra time to lose 4-3 on aggregate after what sounded like a rip-roaring game down um, at Excelsior Stadium. But Cove have still had, they've, they've made an impact in League One, haven't they? And they'll only build on this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not the way they wanted the season to end, but... As you always get with COVID, it's always there's always entertainment value there. I mean, as a reporter, it's the old. It was the old nightmare of the. Uh, well, it was it was not just a single late rewrite; it was a double late rewrite with um, Rory McAllister scoring in I think the ninety second minute, and then it looking like Cove were going to advance to the playoff final, and then obviously Edry going down the other end and Jack Mackay scoring, and then it, then it's two two, and it's going to extra time, um, and. 
it, it's a game that really had everything in it. I've said numerous times before the game that I thought it would go to extra time just because there was so little between the two teams this season that I don't think anybody was going to sweep the other aside on Tuesday night. Um, ultimately, it came down to defensive kind of errors on on Cove's part, and it's something that the manager and the players kind of touched on themselves afterwards. That they couldn't hold on to to the leads that they got, and it's something that's maybe kind of plagued them a little bit over the last few weeks as well. Because I mean, Tuesday night you had them. Mitch Meganson put them in front on 15 minutes and I think by 19 minutes, Airdrie were level and it's a it's a ball that's put into the box from the left-hand side that I think everyone has left. Um, the goalkeeper and the defenders have all kind of stood and just watched the ball come in and Callum Gallagher's been able to kind of like, able to head it in at the back post. Um, and then you're looking at going, going ahead in stoppage time, you're thinking, and the celebrations that came with it, you're thinking, that's... That's it. That's them through, but there's there's a kind of a high ball into the box that uh, the goalkeeper doesn't deal with, but then the, the defenders aren't able to to clear, and Jack Mackay is able to squeeze it through a ruck of bodies, and and then you take the game to extra time. And to be fair, the tempo of the game for for having it, it been so kind of frantic for most of the the two games, it understandably had kind of wilted a little bit in extra time and from, from say well watching the game the there's a there's a kind of a run forward from Craig Thompson that he's he's allowed to kind of drive into space down the right hand side and put a ball into the box and um Gallagher's there again to turn it in and he's been the man to he's been the man Cove is sick of the sight of after after these last couple of weeks he scored it's now four goals in ten days against him because he scored in the, the final league game and then possibly you can kind of give him the goal in the first leg at, uh, at the Balmoral Stadium. And after the game, it's difficult for anyone of a Cove persuasion to to take too many positives because you, you're kind of seeing it through that prism of disappointment that that's your season over. But they've they've taken to, to League One with the minimum amount of fuss. They've not kind of gone on like a crazy spending spree or anything like that. They've recruited sensibly. And they've been up there challenging among full-time teams all season, and it's the first—it's the first time playing against full-time teams in the league. So it's it's a step up for them in that respect. But they've been within a shout of like second place or the title right until the kind of the the split, really. Um, so it's been a—it has been a great. A great season, and I think it's something that will it will stand them in good stead for next year because they will strengthen. They will go again, and I would imagine they would be among the the top teams for for the title next season. Yeah, and it must be said that, and we discussed this in a previous episode, but among the teams that were going for the title, they 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 were the part time team, and then Erdionians again, the team that's not them in the playoffs, a full time team, and you just wonder whether this a hectic closing schedule maybe sort of inhibited Cove slightly. And of course, to think you've gone through with 92 minutes played to get pegged back to 94 minutes played must be devastating and impossible to lift yourself for extra time. Uh, what, what do you think for next season in terms of personnel Cove will maybe try and do in terms of the games you've seen this season? Where do you think they could do with strengthening? Where are they strong? I think by and large, 
they will try and keep the same squad around because it's by no means a, an aging squad and it's one that's obviously grown familiar with with each other over the past couple of seasons. I think the the areas you look to address is obviously where the lone players have come in and are now going to go back to the parent clubs. So I think a centre-half will will probably be high on course priority lists. Say Ross Graham has done really well since he came in from Dundee United this season and he's he's been a real success story. But obviously he's going to go back and leave a, leave a gap there. Um, Scott Ross is now playing right back, so he's probably not going to be a long-term option at centre-half, which leaves you Ryan Strachan and, and Daniel Higgins. So I think there'll be probably another centre-half coming. I think there'll probably be another kind of wide player, perhaps, um, in the forward areas. You've, Connor Smith is another one who's coming on loan this season, or kind of in January from Hearts, and done, and done really well. So I think he'll he'll be a big miss for them. Um, and I think he'll be one that they'll look to address, someone that can maybe play in that 10 role and, and play out wide and give them another... Given another option in the in the final third. Um, other than that, I think maybe another midfielder, but I don't think it's a squad that needs to do too much. Um, it's not certainly not something where they need to go out and be going to get five, six, seven players in to to try and make sure of it. I think it's one that kind of it's just a squad that maybe needs a little bit of tweaking. They may well go for a couple of loan players again. So they've got this track record now of showing that they can give young players opportunities and develop them and actually give them game time. Um, they did it with with Declan Glass last season. They've done it with Ross Graham and Connor Smith this season. So if clubs are clubs are looking at places to send their their young players to play competitive football in, in a successful team, then Cove are going to be high on that or should be high on that list. And with the connections that the manager and assistant manager have got at various Premier Premiership clubs, it wouldn't be a surprise to see them go down that route again to try and um, to try and bolster the squad for a for a promotion challenge next year. Look what happened the last time Cove missed out on promotion as well the following season. Anyway, let's move on from Cove to our final section of this bonus episode. That's the way we're couching it um, of Northern Goal. We'll give Paul Chalk his, his time to shine as we discuss Elgin's playoff exit. Waiting in the wings patiently, and uh, yeah, Ryan. I mean, thank you, and I've come in an exciting time of the season, um, joining the, the P and J, um, and looking at Elgin um, over the past couple of weeks, and um, their dramatic push for the playoffs. Um, I was down at Edinburgh, obviously, the, the other night, and uh, they were a whisker away from taking the game to extra time, and that uh, was another like. Jamie was saying there with Cove, you just felt there was there was something special going to happen with with Elgin. Um, now this is an Edinburgh side who have uh, been unbeaten against Elgin eleven matches now, and um, which stretches a few years. They are the ultimate bogey side for Elgin, and um, the Borough Briggs team travelled down there, one goal down. They put a lot into the game last weekend in the first leg of the playoffs, and. Um, they knew the, the task they were up against. They lost to Edinburgh just a, a couple of weeks ago at the same venue down the road at Ainsley Park by two goals to nil. But uh, they had a real bold approach. They really took the game to Edinburgh from the start. And um, I think when you, and 
this uh, strange time that we're in where supporters aren't in the stadium and it's the, uh, the journalists that have the, the privilege of getting in. You can, you can hear everything. Obviously, in Edinburgh, we're, we're quite rattled as uh, uh, the, the two goals went, went in for um, Elgin with Daryl McCardy getting two goals. Um, Edinburgh did get one in between times, so it was a uh, 2-2 on, on aggregate at that point. So it was a, a real bold performance. And then Josh Campbell, who got the goal late on um, uh, the other night, he, he also scored in the first leg as well. And uh, it was a real disappointing night. But I think um, Elgin can take a lot of credit because when the, at the start of the playoffs, they had a, an idle Saturday while all the rivals were playing. And every possible result that could have gone against them did go against them. So there was frustration before they'd even kicked off their, their playoff campaign. But uh, they were sitting in fifth at that point. But they've ended up joint second. They actually finished in the same point as Edinburgh City. And um, But the, the feeling is that they're going to be back next season with a real desire to win this title next year. And uh, that's... Uh, that's the way to avoid any any playoff heartache next year. I think before we we start looking at next season, we, we maybe want to discuss a little bit more. Daryl McCarty telling you, Paul, what a day before, two days before yeah. the the second leg that he was going to celebrate his new contract by scoring and then going and bagging himself a double. He, he did, got did, two. Did, yeah. did he did he manifest that through sheer force of will? Right, and I tell you, he nearly got a hat trick as well. He was he, he was causing Edinburgh real problems and. Uh, yeah, he said to me after the the one 0 defeat on Saturday that it was um, he wanted to just prove to Gavin Price, the manager, that he got that deal for a reason. That he feels that he should be maybe more of a goal threat as well as uh, his qualities at the back. And uh, two, three headers um, down at Inslee Park the other night, and um, he uh, he was a real class act. But like all the Elgin players the other night, they went down with a a cause they knew they had to play on the front foot to try and turn this tie around. But uh, yeah, McCarty, he was delighted to get his two-year deal and, and what a way to celebrate it. And now what is going to happen is there'll be talks with the chairman, Graham Tatters and Gavin Price and um, as they try and identify the, the, the players within the squad that are going to also get new deals to follow. And um, at that point, Gavin has already said he's identified a couple of players at least that he feels could come in and strengthen the squad. Um a wee bit like Hearts in the Championship, they've they've gone, so that's one less problem for Cali Thistle. Queen's Park have gone from this division, although um, the chairman did say this week the possible uh, introduction of Kelty Hearts, but I think that looks almost certain that Kelty Hearts will begin and they, they won't struggle against Brecon. That um, maybe makes it a little bit harder for Elgin to try and win that league next year. They lost Talisman Shane Sutherland last summer, which they managed to overcome by the emergence yeah. of, although he was there already, Kane Hester as yeah. their, their main man. How how important will it be that they emerge from the summer with Kane Hester still in their books and still in form? I think they've got to have uh, Hester and he looks really settled and enjoying his, his football. Um, I spoke to Kane after his um, hat-trick against Queen's Park, the champions, and that was a, a demonstration of what he can do. Um, real quality goals. He's a player that um, now I've just come in, so I'm just seeing glimpses of, of him, but he's got a real, uh, holds the ball up well. He's not afraid to have a go, but he also knows when the right 
time to bring teammates in. Uh, 19 goals he got. He was looking for that 20th goal. Um, he, he didn't quite manage that, but 19 goals. He was the league's top scorer um, earlier in the year. There, there was interest from, from other clubs. Uh, I would imagine that Gavin will be looking to um, put him top of the list in terms of uh, the current squad now um, to, to make sure that he uh, fires them uh, back into contention next year. Very impressed by Kane Hester and, uh, and in fact Gary Naismith did say that Hester and Brian Cameron uh, caused them real problems the other day more than they have in, in all the games combined the, the other day and I, in my, my chats to Gavin Price the past couple of weeks he's been quick to point out the impact of Brian Cameron because Hester for his goals gets all the, the headlines uh, quite rightly but uh, the contribution of Brian Cameron as well is shouldn't be understated he's got a real eye for goal and great deliveries as well they've just got a real good balance about them Elgin really entertaining to watch and um, there's um, training facilities going up uh, behind one of the goals at Borough Briggs I, I noticed as well so uh, they're planning for the future uh, on and off the park and uh, I think there's a lot for Elgin City fans to be optimistic about the, the big thing that counts in Elgin's favour regards Kane Hester is the fact that they managed to get him tied down on a, a new contract just around about Christmas time. He's uh, yeah. one of a number of players that's uh, you know signed up you know quite long term. I think twenty twenty three for for Kane. So any club that's coming in for him, uh, you know, at a, a higher level, is going to have to pay a fee, which uh, you, you know you don't see too much of really in the, the lower leagues. Uh, that's a different scenario to to the one that Elgin faced last summer when they, they lost Shane Sutherland to a, a pre-contract agreement with Inverness. So uh, I think the, the building blocks are, are well in place there. Gavin Price has sold his vision to the, the squad. Um, everyone's on the same page and wanting to, to try and make that push for League One and uh, they'll they'll just look to reset and, and go again in, in that pursuit next season. Is Kane Hester locally based? No, Kane is from Angus Way. I think it might be Montrose that he's he's based in. Um, he previously played at Arbroath, and he was kind of on the, the fringes of of their squad that, that went up from League One. I don't think he was involved when they went up to the the Championship, but um, he's really benefited from this run of games that he's had uh, as Elgin's uh, focal point up front. It, it really has been, you know, what he's needed in his career and. Uh, you know, it w- wouldn't come as any surprise to to see a lot more interest uh, off the back of this season in particular, where you know he's had to carry that burden in the absence of Shane. I suppose the the reason I asked is because if he is based in the north, there's obviously less, perhaps, senior clubs that could try and come in for him. But if he's if he's down there, it's oiled west down there, and there could be. Loads of suitors for Kane Hester this summer. It must be said as well that I feel slightly bad for Elgin in the sense they've had a, a good season last season, which was obviously cut short, and they've had a good season this season, but just haven't got over the line. But maybe next year. Um, I think that concludes this this episode of Northern Goal. Thanks to the two Pauls, which is just what I'm going to refer to it as from now on, Andy and Jamie for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Thank no you. Problem. problem. Thanks very much. If you've enjoyed this episode of Northern Goal, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. If you haven't enjoyed it, then I'm sure we'll be back to one episode only from next week onwards. So, I mean, if you don't like it, why are you listening to it anyway? Anyway, so 
You can email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk if you don't like it and, again, you still listen but you want to complain or whatever. Um, and finally, I suppose all that's left to say is enjoy the final round of Premiership fixtures this weekend. Come on the Staggies. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.